0: Bible says. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Judges, chapter number six. It's been a long time since we've been over here in this book of the Bible, and uh, it is of much greater importance than what we might realize. And there are many stories in this book that we are all familiar with, and today we're going to look at just a small part of one of those. Judges chapter 6 and verse number 25. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, that's Gideon, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove, that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, he did it by night. As strange as it might seem, I want to start with the end of my message. Most of you realize that that preachers normally uh, start out with a message. It might be a story from the Bible or a certain section of Scripture in the Bible, and uh, We'll go through that, and then we'll make some personal application near the end of it. But, uh, but I want to speak to you this morning about a story that we're all familiar with. And the problem is that although we know the story, we don't always get the message. And uh, I think that's the way it is in the story of Gideon. And so before I recount the story, I want to make my point Uh, And then, then we're going to see how it plays out in his life. There are a great many people struggling with problems that they never solve. They live and they die with the same problem hanging over their head, torturing them, making them and others miserable as a result of it. And it's all because they are focused on the wrong thing. Whether we're talking about uh, science or economics or um, or, or whatever particular field it is, it might be the field of medicine, makes no difference. One of the most important natural laws is the law of cause and effect. And uh, so many times when we are focused on the wrong thing, we never... We never really solved the problem, and thus the title of the message today, which has to do with getting, getting to the root of our sin. We focus on the, uh, on the effect, but we never consider the cause. We think about the fruit, but we don't actually get to the root of the problem. We think about the symptoms, but we never think about the problem itself. We. We consider the results of the problem, but we never really look at the reason for it. In other words, that's another way of saying that we get the cart before the horse or that we are majoring on minors. Someone many years ago said when solving problems, dig at the roots instead of just hacking at the leaves. That's good advice you can go out there and cut those leaves off all you want but the tree keeps growing until you until you get at the root of the matter looking at it another way uh think about an infection in your body and the different ways that infection can manifest itself it might be uh it might be a fever it might be a sore it could be uh in, you know in any number of different things And uh, it can cause serious problems. But imagine how foolish it would be if all we did was to treat the symptoms rather than the disease itself. Now, you might use some medicine that makes your appearance look better. It might, you know, it might cover up the effects of the disease to to an extent. Listen, it might even make you feel better. You know, if you've got, let's say, you've got cancer or whatever it is and you take certain you know, big mega doses of certain vitamins and what have you. You might have one of those days where you feels like you're walking on the cloud and you feel great and everything's all right, but the cancer is still there. The problem is still there. So why would you do that? It would be absolutely foolish for us to just keep dealing with the symptom instead of ever getting to the disease. And yet, that's exactly what a lot of people are doing in their life concerning their problems. They want their problems to be solved, they want their needs to be met, but they have no great concern about doing what needs to be done. They want things to be different, but they don't want to be different. They want things to get better, but they don't want to be any better. Now, that's the point. We've got to quit dealing with the fruit of the problem and get to the root of the problem. And we, we see here in this story that there is indeed a serious problem. It begins by describing for us the circumstances in verse 1 of the chapter and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the uh, of Midian seven years. Now, the thing that makes that verse so amazing is that whenever you look back to the last verse of the chapter before, it says the last part of the verse says, And the land had rest forty years. If you know anything about the book of Judges, you know that this cycle repeated itself over and over and over and over again. How that the people would turn from God, they would suffer as a result of it, and finally, after a great deal of suffering, God raised up judges, raised up those that would deliver them from their situation. They'd cry out to God, God would deliver them, things would get better. Now, they've gone through 40 years of rest. Forty years of great blessing. And that's significant because that 40 years represents now a new generation. Forty years rest in the land. Forty years of prosperity. But now something has happened during the course of this next generation And they've turned away from God and sinned against God. And the Midianites have come against them. And this has been going on now for seven years. I don't want to spend a lot of time recounting the circumstances. Uh, None of us are in that exact situation, but we all have problems. But we we need to know enough about it to get some idea of what was really going on. It was a time of national oppression. It was caused by sin, as we said there in verse number 1. It was their sin. The source of the oppression was from the Midianites. He goes on, and I'm not going to read all of the verses, but he goes on and tells us that the Midianites and their allies had come against them. They were a wandering people who traveled about from place to place just taking whatever they wanted from whomever they could. And and we see the severity of this and that it's been going on now for seven years. And what they would do is at harvest time, the Midianites would come in just as they are about to harvest their crop and they'd take everything they wanted. They'd strip the land bare and go on their way and leave the poor Israelites without anything. Instead of fighting back... The Israelites felt defeated, and they fled to the mountains, and they hid in caves. And all of that brought brought great sorrow upon them. And verse number 6 tells us that finally they cried out unto the Lord. So this this is the circumstances that existed at that time. And it was in the depths of that experience that God calls a man by the name of Gideon. And I realize that all of you know the story, and we'll get to that in a minute, how that Gideon, through his leadership, that the Israelites were delivered. But here we see in from verse 7 on down through verse number 24, we see God's call to Gideon, and it was after the ministry of an unnamed prophet. I don't have time to deal with that, but it's so strange that God sends this prophet, and nobody even knows his name or anything, and he reminded them of of why they were being punished. Now, this is important because it was through his preaching that it set the stage for what is about to happen. You know, so many times we do not give proper credit to people that Deserve it. We don't know his name, and sometimes it's the unnamed people, the people behind the scenes, the people that you don't know anything about, perhaps, that are, are most uh, helpful in their contributing to the solutions of problems in a church and the most helpful by way of lifting up those that are fallen. So don't ever underestimate the power of your influence in the Lord's church. And all of this happened at an unexpected time. Remember, there there have been seven years of this. There are no expectations, and I say that because they're not forming an army. Gideon is in hiding. He is threshing wheat in in hiding because he knows that the Midianites would come and they would take it. And so he is hiding. There's no expectations of deliverance. And that, that that's just like god to do the unexpected so many times over these years of ministry that uh you know you go through these times when everything's great and you go through other times when it seems like that uh everything's going wrong you know the attendance goes down and this is wrong it's, you know all kinds of different problems and and you get to thinking boy is this never going to change yeah it'll change that just listen the important thing is for us to keep doing what we ought to be doing, and we might be going through a cycle for reasons known only to God, but God has a way of just jumping right in the middle of it at the, at the most important time, and that's what he does, and he calls Gideon. And, and in verse number 12, it's interesting, he calls him a mighty man of valor. <laughs> really? This dude's hiding. He's a coward. And he's the least in his family. I mean, he even admitted that. Why are you calling me? How can I possibly deliver my people from the Midianites? I mean, it seemed like an impossible task. And so he began to question God. And we see that his calling was confirmed by a sign. Here's a man who is fearfully entering into the ministry. Let me tell you, that's better than strutting into the ministry. Gideon could have said, You know, Lord, I've just been wondering when you was going to get around to me. You've been overlooking me all of these seven years. It's about time you discovered my greatness. Just turn me loose and let me go. I'll get the job done. That kind of attitude always ends in failure. It's the man who says, Lord, I don't understand why you're calling me. I have no idea how I can possibly do this, but if that's what you want, I'll do my best. And that's what happened. And that brings us to the challenge of all of this because I want you to notice the first assignment In fact, I have an entire message on this, the importance of our first assignments. The first assignment, he tells him to to go to his father's place to destroy the idol that had been erected to Baal and to cut down the grove. Now, the grove is associated with heathen worship, and this is the place that it, you know, that it actually took place. And there's some other significance I won't go into, but the point is I want you to go and destroy your father's God. Now, this is the first assignment, keep in mind. And it involves his family. His daddy is a worshiper of a heathen god. And he said, I want you to go throw down his altar. Boy, let me tell you, if you want to get in trouble, you just mess with somebody's religion and that'll do it. And it's his daddy. And then cut down the grove and then build an altar to me. Here's the point. God refused to deliver Israel until these sinful shrines had been destroyed. And Gideon did it without any delay at all that's why i started out where i did and it came to pass verse 25 the same night he didn't say lord they know that sounds like a great idea the message is loud and clear i know what you want but i need some time to think about this i i, I need a week or two at least to kind of plan out and st- get my strategy together and so I'll know exactly how, how to go about this. I mean, he just leaped into action and did what God told him to do. And by the way, verse 27 says he took ten of his servants with him. That is to say that he needed the aid of others. This involved a lot of work, you know, tearing down that altar, cutting down all of those trees and what have you, building an altar to the true and the living God you know, we give Gideon all of the credit for what he did, but let's never forget the fact that there were others, not only others later on when we think about Gideon and his band of 300, but here's Gideon and his little handful of 10 men. And they go out there and tackle a project like that. And it reminds me of the fact that we need one another but then we see that it was met with opposition. Now, he anticipated that, right, because he knew his daddy wasn't going to like this, but the men of the city, they went to his father, and and somebody said, who did this? And they said, it was Gideon. He's guilty. And and he was. He's the one that did it. And so they were going to execute him. And I, I love what Gideon's father, he said, he said, you know, If Baal is really God, let him speak for himself. Let him defend his self. Anytime you set out to fulfill the calling God gives you, it's going to meet with opposition. And whenever we look at this challenge, we see that it resulted even in a change of his name. I won't go into that, but they changed his name to uh, Jeroboam which means a contender of Baal uh, what, by the way what are you known for the mention of your name what, what, what do other people think when they hear your name they might hear your name and think boy I tell you that's one of the kindest people that I've ever known They might hear your name and they might think that's one of the generous people I've ever met in my life. Or one of the most talented people in, you know, that I've ever seen, right? But all of us are known for something. And now he has this reputation of being a contender of bail. This this guy's a fighter. He, I mean, he gets right out there in the middle of the fray and he is a staunch defender of what is right and he has established a reputation now. He is known for something. His name is changed as a result of it. And, and, and you might sit back and say, well, you know, I don't really care about what other people think about me. Well, you're... That's stupid. I didn't say you're stupid. I said that's stupid. You ought to care what other people think about you. It matters what people think about you. What are you going to do when others rise up in opposition against what God has called you to do? Well, we see this display of courage on his part. Now, stay with me. Because we're going to go back to the beginning and come to the end. And there's a valuable lesson in all of this about getting to the root of the problem. Had anyone asked in that day about the nature of Israel's problem? Now think with me. Now let's say a traveler comes through and he says, How's it going with you Israelites? Uh, we, we, man, we got we got problems here. What, what what's the problem? Oh, those Midianites, man, those people are uh, they're heartless. They come down every year at harvest time and they take everything that we've got. And and so you know, in the mind of most people, the problem has to do with the Midianites. Now, make no mistake about it, the Midianites were a problem, a big problem. But they were not the problem. Are you with me? They were not the problem. Uh, you, you see, they were a part of the effect, they're not the cause. Whenever you look at the Midianites, you're seeing the fruit of the problem, but at the root of the problem is something else. And that is that the hearts of the people, and Gideon's dad in particular, had been turned away from the true and the living God, and now they were worshiping the heathen gods. So in getting to the root of the matter we need to remember that while the nature of our problems may vary, the need, the solution, is always the same. And that is until our heart is right with God, we continue to struggle, we continue to live in misery. And I suspect just about everybody here has a mental list of things that you want God to do, right? If I said take a pencil and a piece of paper and just write down ten things you want God to do, ten things that would make you happy. Well, we've all got our list. I, boy, can just keep going long after ten, but let's just get the top ten in there. How about that? Well, we've all got our little list. But the problem is so many times we have our desires for what we want God to do But we don't really have any interest in in God himself. And I'm telling you, it doesn't work that way. They could have complained all they wanted about those horrible Midianites, how terrible it is that they're taking our goods, they're depriving our families. Look at the horrible things they're doing to us. We We want a change. And by the way, God wanted it to be different. Look, God didn't want His people to have to suffer that way, but it was necessary because they had turned away from Him. And as Charles Spurgeon said many years ago, that God never allows His people to sin successfully. And that's true. We don't get by with it. As much as He loved them, Remember, these are His chosen people, and as much as He loved them, it was God who brought judgment upon them as a result of their rebellion. They want change. They want things to be different. They want deliverance. But there was no evidence of it until somebody destroyed those idols and cut down those groves and build an altar to the true and the living God. Before there could be deliverance, there had to be some kind of public display that our devotion is toward the Lord. People want God, going back to the list, we want God to heal our body. Or it might be that somebody wants God to mend their marriage or to fix their relationships, or maybe even to pay their bills. That's on your list. might be that you want God to remove your worries, make you happy. You want God to give you peace. You want God to solve your problems. But then you turn around and refuse to give God first place in your life you refuse to do God's will. And here you are wrestling with all of these problems. And remember, you're just dealing with the fruit of the real problem. The root has to do with your relationship with God. It has nothing to do with, you know, sickness and broken marriages and and, and destroyed relationships and inability to pay your bills and, and all of your worries and your fears and your sorrow and all of that. No. Those things are not at the, at the root of what's making you miserable. That's the fruit. That's the product of it. And the point is, until things are right, With God we cannot expect to conquer those things that defeat us, things that control us, like the Midianites did, things that hurt us, hinder us, rob us, torture us. Till we get things right with God, we can't change those things. You see, we desire deliverance from those things, but God demands devotion. I love the way Peter describes the promises of God. He says they are exceeding great and precious. Wow, what a wonderful thing it is to just go through the Bible and look at all of the promises of God. It's thrilling, it's exciting, it's encouraging. But what we forget so many times is the fact that for the most part, those promises are conditional. In other words, all that God has promised for us is based on us meeting the conditions that he has set for us. I've heard people say, you know, well, I'm not really worried about it. After all, the Bible says God will supply all of our needs. Well, he didn't say that for everybody. There's some people who can't claim that promise. Oh, but you say all things work together for good. Well, that does for some people, doesn't for everybody. Read the whole verse. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord or the called according to His purpose. You can't claim the promises of God when you're out of the will of God. And as good, as great as God is, He is of absolutely no help, no benefit to those who reject Him by refusing Christ as their Savior. We can sing that great song, How great is our God. But there better be some evidence that He really is truly your God. There's no inheritance laid up in heaven for anyone other than a child of God. And I've got news for you. If you're one of those who believe in what is called the universal fatherhood of God, that God is just the father of everybody in the sense of salvation, and that ultimately, eventually, everybody's going to heaven and nobody's going to hell, you are ignorant of what the Bible teaches that's not the case for God to be your father Jesus has to be your Lord and Savior you have to be born again quickened—that that is made alive by the Holy Spirit until you become a child of God you can't call God your father you can't expect God to save your soul. You can't expect God to supply your needs. You can't expect God to solve your problems. You can't expect God to, to soothe all of your fears and shelter you from danger. And and all of those things that are on your list, I've got news for you. Those things will never be fulfilled as long as you continue on rejecting God. This world that we live in is off course, it's out of order, it's upside down. And the reason for that condition is that when God originally designed us, God designed man with a need for him. That's why somebody has wisely said there is a God-shaped blank within the bosom of every person and they'll never find satisfaction until God fills that empty place. And that's true. The problem with this world, and we look at the world and I tell you, there are people that, that their intentions might be good and they see all of these problems and they think to themselves, surely we can do better than that. And so we're going to find a cure for this and a cure for that and we're going to work at this problem and that problem. We're going to have a better educational system and we're going to work at it and we're going to solve the problem. And, and, and what happens? Things get worse instead of better. It, let, let me tell you, if, you're, if, if you were my age, you would understand when I say this world's not getting better, it's getting worse and rapidly so. We're going downhill quickly. Why? It's because God designed us to live in connection and fellowship with Him, and that connection has been broken. You can take an automobile that costs more than $100,000 and disconnect the battery cable, and it's as dead as a hammer. You can't go anywhere in a car like that. And I'm telling you, All around us, we see the results of the problem, all the immorality, the crime, the the lack of value for human life and all of those things. That's that's all a part of uh, the results of the real problem. The real problem is that we've turned from the true and the living God. And we can't expect anything to go right unless we get right you have a need for God. And even if you're here today and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're going to heaven when you die, please understand that you are depriving yourself of those things that are making you miserable, robbing you of joy, ruining your testimony. Things that are making you miserable. You are depriving yourself I've often said concerning those that are unsaved, it might appear that they're getting by with their sins because their judgment's coming later, right? The great white throne judgment of God and all of those that are unsaved are taken and cast into the lake of fire. God's not overly concerned about trying to correct their behavior right now. and That's not the problem. We keep trying to get people to live a better life. Look, it's impossible until they come to know Christ as their Savior. It's not a matter of better behavior. It's a matter of their belief in the true and the living God. But for the child of God, out of the will of God, he will be the most miserable person on earth because the Spirit of God will not allow him to sin successfully And as the Bible says, if you be without chastisement, you're a bastard. That's the word in the Bible. It's illegitimate. You're illegitimate. You're not truly a child of God. If you do what you want to do, and there are no repercussions from it, no punishment for it, no correction or anything else, it's just evidence you've never really been saved. And all I'm trying to do this morning is to, is to help you help yourself by seeing that there are so many people. And, and, and look, I could spend another hour standing here and talking about and really getting specific and just based on the people that I know, you folks that are here in this congregation. There are some of you that are eaten up with bitterness. There are some of you that are consumed with covetousness. There are some of you that have other problems I can talk about uh, hour after hour after hour. And I know you're miserable. I'm convinced that you really are a child of God, but, but I'm telling you something, that's not normal. Big difference between being a normal Christian and an average Christian. They're not the same. And many of you have been working overtime trying to solve your problem by focusing on the fruit of the problem. Oh, I, we, we, we just, we, we just got to correct this situation. We got to make things better. And you're working your fingers to the bone trying to do that. It's not getting any better. It never gets any better until you get to the root of the problem, which is your relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to tear down some altars today. We need to burn some groves. We need to, listen, we need to destroy those things that. That have a way of dividing our affections and diverting our attention from the true and the living God and we need to reestablish our priorities with God notice he said you build this altar to me on the top of the rock get it up there where everybody can see it where there's no doubt about it make this a public display of your allegiance and when God did or when he did that what happened God said all right now we're ready to deal with the Midianites. Man, old Gideon begins to marshal his army together. He's got all of these hundreds and hundreds of people there, and man, he's ready to go to war. And God says, Oh, no, 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 that's not going to work. We don't need near that many. And he kept reducing the number till he got it down to 300. Let me give you the short answer as to why God did that. It's so God would get the glory for it they couldn't ever say we went out and in our own strength we overpowered those dirty rascals no God said look listen God could have used one he let some of the others in on the blessing in 300 they defeated the Midianites But they didn't get rid of the fruit of the problem until what? They got serious about the root of the problem. How serious are you about the root of your problem? You want what's on your list? You better quit hacking the leaves and start cutting the roots. Let's all stand. Father... How we thank you, Lord, this morning that we don't have to live in defeat. We thank you, Lord, for making victory in Jesus possible for each and every person who will trust him, love him, follow him. And Lord, it breaks my heart to think of someone here today that's never really truly been born again and to think about their eternal destiny in a devil's hell. God, I pray that you'll speak to them and, and reveal to them how horrible their condition is that they might be saved. And Lord, it breaks my heart to think about some of your own people that are depriving themselves of your greatest blessings. And they keep working and working and trying to trying to control the uncomfortable situations in their life and deal with those issues but they never really get down to the root of the matter help us do that this morning quit playing games and get serious and demonstrate our devotion to you the true and the living God for we pray in Jesus name now as we